The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Okay, way to go, God. What I mean by that is, um, you know, I've mentioned before that, you know, sometimes we don't really coordinate the service as far as uh, the songs with the message, but God does. It's pretty awesome. In fact, this last week, Stephanie, who uh, works in the office here, was out of town starting Tuesday, so Adam had to have the songs in on Monday morning, so I hadn't really even looked at the text for this week yet as far as to really dig into it, and he picked that You'll see why that last song is perfect. I mean, you'll, you'll see. Okay, it's coming. You can't wait, can you? All right, Daniel chapter 9 is our look today. I'm ready. Hopefully you're ready. What I have up there, those uh, three little phrases uh, beneath it, is in my Bible, and I'm sure in many of your Bibles they put these little subtitles before the paragraphs. These are the three sections of Daniel chapter 9. First of all, I don't know why I decided to paraphrase it, make it Dan's instead of Daniel's, but uh, I did. Uh, But anyway, Daniel's prayers first. Now, that's obviously worth a look because Daniel is one of the uh, strongest characters of the Bible, and his Christianity and his faith uh, is hard to compare with any other human. Uh, So if we're going to see how he prayed, probably a good thing. We can take some notes. We can learn from it. Uh, Gabe is Gabriel. Uh, again, why? When I was writing this, I decided to go short. I don't, I don't know. But the angel answers. So God is speaking through this angel. Probably worth listening to again uh, since we have that message th- there. But then you get into the end of the chapter, and I wrote the 77s. Now, some of your Bibles, the subtitle might say 70 weeks instead of 77s. Um, but therein begins a little bit of the problem because we're not even sure if the sevens were weeks or not. A lot of scholars think they were. They're not positive about the whole time framework. So I get in uh, on Monday morning, and uh, anybody ever heard of a preacher named Alistair Beggs? Alistair Beggs? Okay, quite a few of you have. He's a pretty a very good preacher. He's out of the Cleveland area, uh, and he preaches with a Scottish accent, which I'm going to start doing that pretty soon, just so you know I've been practicing it, because he sounds so much more intelligent. Uh, I think if I could do pull off the Scottish accent, it'd be pretty good. Uh, but anyway, I found a sermon. It was just called Daniel's Prayer, Daniel chapter 9, by Alistair Biggs. And I thought, good place to start, because this guy is smart, and he's good, and uh, I'll listen to him. So uh, here's how he starts off. He says, this is probably the hardest passage of Scripture to understand. <laughs> I said, oh, no, if Alistair's, I mean, anybody with the name Alistair, too, has to be either smart or your butler or something like that. Uh, but uh, if this guy's going to have a hard time understanding it, I did sure am. And, uh, and he, he went through, and he went through Daniel's prayer, and he never really dug into the end of the chapter. And I was like, buddy, you are no help whatsoever. Uh, so I got digging into a little bit more. And I just want to say, I mentioned when we get into prophecy that there's some places where we are going to focus on the obvious and not get caught up in the obscure. The end of this chapter was, is a very tough understand. There's a couple of main ideas in there that you can't miss. And one of them is this. If you remember last week, we talked about some of the prophecy was like fulfilled in the 
uh, short-term future and some in the long term, like the rise of a man of evil was fulfilled in Antioch, Antiochus uh, Epiphanes, and then it was fulfilled even more in the Antichrist. While there is a prophecy of the Anointed One in chapter seven, I'm sorry, nine, that is fulfilled first of all in probably Ezra, who led the people back. I know I'm getting kind of deep here already, but secondly, and even more so, in the anointed Savior, and we're going to see that. And one of the things I came away with that is that even as I looked at what is a very tricky passage, if you will, I found it dripping with God's grace. So I'm pretty excited about just spending some time uh, celebrating and rejoicing in and bathing in, having God lavish His grace upon us as we look at that here today. But... Um, before we actually look at Daniel chapter 9, uh, this little picture up here uh, is just to get you thinking about a New Testament story that some of you may be familiar with. You have all heard the term prodigal son. Whether or not you're familiar with the story or not, let me briefly recap it uh, in, in the book of Luke that uh, Jesus told this story of this young man who was rebellious, and he looked at his dad, and he said, I want my inheritance, and I want it now. Okay, probably, basically, he was saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. Uh, if you look at the culture of the time, that's probably what he was saying. Why don't you just go ahead and die so I can have what's mine? I want it now. And he takes his inheritance, you might remember, and he goes and he squanders it on wicked living. And he comes to himself in a pit, in a pigsty, finally, after he's spent everything and his life is a mess. And he gets thinking to himself and he says, hey, you know what? If I was with my dad, I could get just a job there. I know I'm not even worthy to be called a son anymore, but I could at least maybe get a job. I'd be better off than where I am now. So he prepares this big speech to go back and tell his dad that, hey, if I could at least have a job. And some of you might remember the story. Here's the dad embracing the son, but the dad sees him off in the distance. He takes off to embrace him. And when you study the culture at that time, this whole idea of this guy running uh, that was undignified for him to even do that. So he was willing to disgrace himself, if you were, to go embrace his son and, uh, and grab a hold of him and hug him there. And uh, the son comes back and begins his speech, says, Dad, I'm not even, and he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, kill the fatted calf. We're partying. My son's back. But Dad, uh, no, 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 wait a minute. We're having a party right now, son. You can tell me that later. Right now, I'm just so thrilled that you're back. I think we're going to see that some of that spirit as we begin to dive into Daniel's prayer. So here we are, verse number one of Daniel chapter nine. In the first year of Darius, the king of uh, and the, uh, the son of Ahasuerus, how did I do with that? Ahasuerus, pretty good. Huh? Uh, I think that, oh, we could have said Xerxes, but uh, by descent, uh, Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel perceived in the books of the number of years that according to the word of the Lord of Jer uh, to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now that was crystal clear, right? Okay, well Daniel says, I got thinking about it and I'm saying it's going to be 70 years uh, from the time we went into captivity and that 70 years is just about over. Daniel's becoming an old man now. He said, pretty soon, the time of Ezra and Nehemiah is going to come in here. Pretty soon, uh, God is going to send back a remnant then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He said, okay, pretty soon, this time in exile is going to be over. God, I'm going to pray. Okay? Now, I told you we are going to focus on the obvious today. 
Okay, first thing that we need to see is just a good old practice. We see two things that Daniel does. And again, remember, Daniel's outstanding character of the Bible. One of the things that he does here in the verses we just read, he was reading in the book of Jeremiah. One of the things very simply he's doing is re- he's reading the Word of God. And the second thing he does is he prays. Boy, that was profound, Pastor. That's great. You know, there are so many things that are new and improved. I mentioned yesterday we're doing some uh, landscaping out here, and we're bringing the mulch in. And Chris was saying, uh, I'm going to sound probably really old in this, but Chris was saying that now they, the landscape companies just come in and they blow it in. So they bring a big hose, you know, and they just blow it in so you don't have the wheelbarrows and the shovels. And uh, Chris is telling me about that, and he said, I don't care what it costs, I'll pay for that next year. <laughs> As we were sweating out there, uh, moving, moving the mulch around. Uh, but, uh, you know, everything that we have, of course, is new and improved, and everything gets better. And I got to tell you, this is something that I cannot figure out how to improve on. Uh, I get there's new ways, and there's apps on our phone and things like that as far as that. But the good old read your Bible and pray is like ground zero for walking in the Christian life. I don't know how else to say it. And I want to encourage us over and over again to, to get a hold of this idea that um, if we are going to be mature in our faith, we are going to read our Bible and pray. Okay, let me, um, let me illustrate like this if I could. Um, my wife and I, a few years ago, we were looking around, and sadly, a lot of the couples that were our age, and this wasn't that long ago, we saw them, we saw several getting divorces. And uh, they had gotten to a place where the kids were growing out of the house, or maybe their last kid went to college, and it was kind of like, okay, we put up with this charade long enough, we're out of here. And, uh, and uh, you know, my wife and I, obviously, we were like, okay, we don't want to go that route. Bad choice. Um, and uh, th- th- so, uh, so what should we do? But then we got looking a little bit, and I don't mean to be insulting uh, to the older generation, but we got looking at some of the couples that we knew in the older generation, uh, the generation above us, which, yes, they are still kicking a lot of them. Uh, and we thought, okay, for a lot of the couples that we knew, they were surviving marriage. They weren't getting a divorce, you know, they were committed to staying together, but they were just surviving. I mean, they lived, one of the uh, redneck comedians, I don't know if it's Foxworthy or Engvall or who it is, but he tells a story about uh, asking his dad the secret to his long marriage, and the dad's out in the front yard watering with a hose. And the dad says, oh, I don't really know for sure, and he, and he he's just keeps watering with the hose. And the, the guy says, Dad, uh, why don't you get a sprinkler? And he said, why don't you mind your own stinking business? Ah, this is the secret to my happy marriage. I stay outside. <laughs> and, I, and I water. I think there might have been a beer involved in his story, too. But uh, holding the beer and sprinkling all the time and just staying away from each other. And we thought, hey, you know what? That's not really what we're after as far as marriage goes either, is to have a survival rate. Uh, we want to have the type of marriage that thrives. But I was thinking how often, you know, if we compare that to our Christian life, how there are so many people, that basically it's just kind of like, oh, we're done. We're done. Now, I've mentioned this before, but the stats coming in on some people that over the last year and a half with everything that have walked away from the faith are sickening. Okay, so some have just said, I'm done. I'm done with God for now. And others are hanging in there, but their life and their walk with the Lord is not really thriving. And what I want to bring to you, it just as kind of the old man, is that everybody that I have ever known in my years of ministry, which is like 40 years now, everybody that I have ever known that I watch having a thriving relationship where you watch them 
I'm going to use the term good Christians, but I don't know what that means to you. What it means to me is somebody who is uh, learning and growing in their love for God and love for other people and caring about them and, and sharing with them the love of God. And when I watch people do that, every one of them that I point to, the thing that one of the things that marks their life is they read their Bible and they pray. And I, I know that's real simple. Yeah, what the pastor talked about today, reading your Bible and praying, praying. <laughs> Number, you know, 101, way to go, buddy, way to come up with the deep stuff. But that's exactly where Daniel started. You see him, he's reading in the book of Jeremiah, and he's praying to God. Let's read a little further here. I prayed the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, look at how he prays, who keeps his covenant. These are the type of things we, we sing about here. And steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly and rebelled. He's talking about the people of Israel. Turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in the name of your kings, our princes, our fathers, to all the people in the land. Where, where was I? There we go. Boom. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. Okay, let me just highlight that for a second. To you, O God, belongs righteousness, to us open shame. As, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Jerusalem, those, uh, all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which we have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Look at that top phrase, to you, God, belongs righteousness. And in the last verses we read, same thing. He's looking and he's praising God and he's saying, God, you're great, you're holy, you're perfect. To us belongs shame. So the second thing that we have, if you will, is we have... <laughs> We most definitely have a, a good old uh, practice, but we also have the same old problem. Here's the problem. Holy God, sinful man. Holy God, sinful man. Daniel highlights that in his prayer. He said, God, you're incredible. You're awesome. You're great. Uh, you're, you're perfect. We, to us, however, belongs shame. So we, we see this here. Now, fortunately, <laughs> the major message throughout all of Scripture is the message that solves this problem. How did God solve the problem of holy God and sinful man? That holy God took upon human flesh, lived a perfect life, and paid the price for our sin. Okay? So he said, hey, I am going to solve that problem. It's a problem that you can't solve, but I'm going to solve it. And that's where we get, um, you know, that he solved it in the message of salvation. There's a passage in the New Testament in the book of Acts where uh, the apostle is asked, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? And uh, the answer comes back very simply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And God says, I solved this problem for you. Here's what you must do. You must believe that what I did is sufficient. And we're going to look into that enough. But there is this age-old problem. By the way, that problem continues even after we trust Christ in some ways because as we navigate this life, this idea of my sinfulness and God's perfection seems to keep coming up. And, uh, and we're going to address this more as we, as we look at that grace that I was talking about here. But um, it seems like what we try to do a lot of times, we aspire to His holiness, but we constantly fail. 
okay? Uh, hopefully you can connect with, uh, you know, the prodigal son's story a little bit and you understand, hey, you know, uh, I so many times find myself wanting just to crawl back to God and say, I know I don't deserve your blessing, but here I am, okay? So he looks, I'm, I'm sorry, so um, we aspire to this holiness, but that, yet we still fail. So sometimes we decide, hey, uh, I got to pretend like I got it together and we turn into phonies, Okay. Or maybe we just want to highlight the areas where we're righteous and other people are not, and we're kind of like, boy, I'm glad I'm not like those other folks, and become, we become self-righteous. So as we navigate this life, and there's this chasm between a holy God and sinful man, a lot of times we either come across as self-righteous uh, or we come across as phonies. Have you ever heard that said about Christians? Yes. Because that's what we're doing. We're trying, we have this chasm here. We have this, this problem here between a holy God and who we are. And we're trying to pretend it's there. God's holiness is oftentimes rejected by the world in which we live. But a lot of times we come across as self-righteous and trying to uh, think of ourselves as holy. Okay, let me say that again. A lot of our problem there, I think, is we're not focused on the holiness of God, but we think of ourselves as holy a little bit too much. And again, we might come across then as very much self-righteous, or we might come across as phony because of that. So let's get to, and I'm going to jump ahead and, and read, I believe, in verse number 20 here. When I was speaking and, pray, and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the, my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, okay, whom I had seen in a vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice, and made me understand, speaking to me, O Daniel, I have now come to give you insight. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I just want you to think about that phrase here for a second. Here's the message. comes back to Daniel. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, when you first started to pray, a word went out, and I have come to tell you that you are greatly loved. Okay? I want you to think about that for a second there. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Then he goes, it is 70 weeks have decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. Here's what's going to happen. Look at these phrases here. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Okay, now I said we're going to focus on the obvious here. Uh, the first point of the obvious is we got this good old practice. What did Daniel do? He prayed and read, read his Bible. Okay, it's as simple as could be. It's also attacked all the time because it's so essential uh, that we find it hard to do because it, I, I believe our enemy is going to try to do everything that he can to keep us from doing this. But it's as simple as could be. Pray and read your Bible. The same old problem is that God is holy and I am not. Okay, fortunately, he has a solution for that. But then I want to show you an age-old promise. Now, part of that promise is seen at the start of the verses we just read, and part of it is seen in the end. I'm going to back up here because I want to show you the verses again. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. Okay, now, when I read this, I thought 
about that story of the, of the prodigal son. Remember I said, here comes the prodigal son. He has his speech already. I've done wrong. I've sinned and all stuff like that. And God, uh, I'm sorry, the father who represents God in the picture runs out and meets him and says, oh, kill the fatted calf. Okay? I saw that idea. Daniel was told here, when you started to pray, when you turned to me humbly, when you started to confess, I was all over it. And I want you to know that you're loved. Um, there's a song that we've sung around here some, uh, the idea of the reckless love of God. Now, that idea, and I understand this. Some people criticize it. They say, well, there's nothing about God that is reckless. I, I get that. I, re- I really do. But at the same time, I see the Father running. Okay? And when we were singing uh, today, the first words of that last song begin with the idea at the very beginning, when I first turned to you, as the idea, I can't remember exactly what it was, when we started singing that, I said, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. When my heart turns and says, dear God, I want, you, uh, I, I want to trust you, I want forgiveness, I want back in, uh, there he is right there at the very beginning. I mean, that, you know, that's what this verse says, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, there God is. When I first turn, God is waiting to meet me. God is running to me. How great we see that in that, in that picture of the prodigal son. And then I mentioned in the end, and I want to think about you know, these phrases as far as what is coming. Here's what he's going to accomplish. Atoning for iniquity to bring everlasting righteousness. If you're not familiar with that terminology, atoning is simply uh, is that it is paid for. Reparations have been made. I did the midweek momentum this week on the theme that the cross works. The cross of Jesus Christ works. In other words, Jesus laid down his life, and because he did that, atonement has been made. Our sin has been paid for in full. If I want to keep bringing it up, and I want to dwell on it, and I want to uh, try to shame myself uh, as much as I, I can, I'm messing up because that price has been paid. Jesus Christ's death on the cross was enough to cover sin. Atonement has been made. It's done. Okay? I don't have to, you know, I, I confess my sin. I don't have to walk around, oh, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that and that. I want to put a smile on my face and a song in my heart and say, it's done. It's gone. That sin is behind. It's been paid for. Atonement has been made. And now what I have is I have this idea of everlasting righteousness. Wait a minute. You mean there's not a moment in my life now as a child of God that I'm not righteous? That is exactly what I'm saying. I'm not saying my behavior is always perfect. I'm not saying I don't do wrong. But I'm saying that God has declared me everlastingly righteous. Okay? There's a song, uh, some of you may have heard, a popular Christian song, I Am Who You Say I Am. But sometimes we just have to remember what God has said about us. because Not because of us. Because of His work and the fact that we put our faith and trust in Him. And if I can live like that, okay? You know, I talked about this idea that, you know, so often Christians, uh, because we're tr- we, we have this gap, okay? I know I'm not as holy as I should be, okay? Here's God. Here's me. And because I see that gap, I feel like I have to pretend, Okay? Truth is, I'm not holy. I'm not, I'm not righteous in, in and of myself. So I have to pretend. So I become a phony. Or I have to act like I'm better than what I am and, and you know, point out other people's mistakes while I'm better than them. And I think a lot of time that's where we get. But if we could live in this idea of the truth of what the Scripture says, that because I am, my sin is paid for. 
Okay, I didn't say I was sinless. I didn't say I was perfect. I said my sin is paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has declared me righteous. So I can walk in that righteousness. I can stand in that righteousness. I can live in that righteousness. I believe that would make such an incredible difference as far as the communication of the gospel to a lost world. Because, again, a lot of times what they are seeing is a guy that thinks he's better than they are. And I got news for you. I don't think I'm better than anybody. But I think Jesus paid the price for my sin. That's what I think. And because of that, I am righteous. I stand, I stand before him. Are you worried that someday you're not going to be good enough to get to heaven? I can tell you this honestly, not even a little bit. I know for sure I'm not good enough to get to heaven, but I know what Jesus did uh, covered me. I know it's enough. I know the cross paid for it all. It's done. Okay? And I, you know, I have complete confidence in the fact that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ works. Well, and I thought, hey, this, uh, this idea of focusing on that, you know, if we come back here, look at our pro- prodigal son here again. This idea of focus on that really would fit well with Father's Day, wouldn't it? And the idea of the, of the father and his relationship and, and his love offering back like that. But, you know, a lot of times we sing, uh, you know, God, you, you were here in this place. We sang it today or we're sing, we sing and kind of ask God, why do you want me to be here today? I want you just to consider that uh, why for a moment God had you here today. Okay, why did he have you here today? And, hey, maybe it's real simple. Uh, maybe it's like, you know, I've kind of fallen off the wagon on just spending some time in prayer and reading my Bible, and I, it's time to get back on, time, time to go again. Uh, maybe it is this whole idea of this chasm between the fact that we are sinful, God is perfect, is still there in our lives because we have never trusted in what Jesus Christ did to pay the price for my sin, and that chasm is still there. Maybe it's just that today is the day that I want to remember. I want to bathe, if you will, in His grace. I want to remember that His work is to atone, was to atone for sin. He did it. His work is to give everlasting righteousness, and His work is complete. Now, I'm stepping up here because we're going to go ahead and observe the Lord's Supper today. And uh, in a moment, uh, as some music plays, as we've done before, you will have the opportunity to come up and uh, take of the elements, uh, picking up just a cracker that we'll use here to represent the Lord's body and a cup that has juice in it. I also did put some of these uh, prepackaged things uh, up here if that's something that you prefer to use. So they're up here too uh, together. But um, what we do when we do this is basically... Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I want to encourage you to remember, okay? I want you to remember that the cross worked, okay? Jesus Christ shed his blood, laid down his life as a sacrifice for sin. What that means is my sin's been paid for. My sin's been paid for. I want to remember that. I want to celebrate that. I want to rejoice about that. So the song we're going to play, you may be familiar with, is Man of Sorrows. As we do, as I mentioned, folks are going to come up and get the elements and, and uh, return to their seats, and then together we'll take them. If you're like, eh, I don't know for sure what exactly is happening here, that, that's fine. Please just feel free to watch and observe and use this time maybe to pray a little bit on your own. That's fine. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you've placed your faith in him, I really want to encourage you to join us 
in taking the elements as we remember. And, you know, I appreciated Adam taking a minute, you know, during the song and just say, hey, let's stop and think about what we're doing. There is no time ever more important than that the pastor stop and say, hey, let's think about what we're doing here. Okay. I mentioned this before. I'm all for fun. I'm all for smiles. I think church is a great place to laugh and have a good time. But the somberness and the seriousness of the Lord's Supper, I never want to take away from, you know, by anything goofy or anything that I would do. Jesus said, remember, remember, God loved you so much. He gave his only begotten son, took on him a human or became human, lived a human life for us, a perfect human life and said, I'm going to lay down that life as a sacrifice. I'm going to let my body be broken, be torn. And my blood is going to be poured out. The life, his very life was poured out for us. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.